Hey, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds. The pandemic era has brought many challenges and changes to our lives. And perhaps one of the most immediate, especially for us in education, was the move to living and working entirely online. It seemed like the world was going virtual as people in business and education, organizing, and everyone just trying to maintain those social connections became little boxes on screens. And, you know, Zoom fatigue is, it's a real thing. As we put more time into being online, we often found that there's a huge difference between being in person and being remote. There's just something missing from the virtual experience that can be hard to put our finger on. Yet, at the same time, there is this whole thriving online world in which masses of people regularly get together to view content, have conversations, and build community. Today in Experience by Design, we welcome Chuck Kostalnik, otherwise known as Hey Apple, to discuss creating virtual experiences that are engaging, exciting, and meaningful. Chuck is a longtime live streamer and actually someone I met on a live stream, as well as a content creator. From his early days in 2012, making videos for YouTube while he was doing gaming from his bedroom, to his current Twitch channel, as well as his work with the open source product Firebot, Chuck has been exploring how to make virtual moments that matter and to create that special community engagement to bring people together. With Chuck, we talk about seeing things from the viewer's perspective, much like customer experience is seeing things from the customer's perspective. How dead air is not necessarily bad air, the danger of getting stuck and sucked into your metrics, as well as digital brand and management. We also talk about how products like Firebot can create what he referred to as immersive theater and transform watching another person playing a video game, or in many instances, just chatting, into a unifying virtual experience. Finally, we talk about creating inclusive experiences online and fighting back against flamers and hate raids, which Twitch is finally getting up to speed on and has been all over the news. So we covered a lot of great content, a lot of really interesting areas, and we hope you enjoy the chat. funny you mentioned ninja obs because i mean you've been doing this for a while i mean yeah. i was watching some of your videos on youtube when you were five or so <laughs> it looked like yeah yeah right? on a decade yeah a decade a decade I mean, was it was it even content creation back then or what was it what was it um <laughs> what was know, happening was things where uh there weren't there was no goal or no objective of what i was doing other than uh, it was a fun way to experiment in a medium that I had not used before. So I had done a number of uh, still graphic design projects and um, got started using Adobe's Creative Suite back okay. in high school. So a couple years prior to starting my YouTube channel, um, the thing that actually started it all was I wanted to make videos about Apple. So I... Um, uh, my name literally is Apple Stock Ticker. That's the AAPL. Oh. Um, so, hey, Apple, it was the name to make videos about Apple, the company. And so, uh, hilariously, in a wild turn of events, one of my best friends, when I had moved to San Luis Obispo, which is where I was going to go to school, one of my best friends that I had met down there, his best friend, or one of his good friends, was uh, a specialist at Apple. And so at the Apple retail store in our town. Okay. And so uh, I just, I had spent so much time coming up with this name and the, the concept. I had gotten all the handles on every social media platform. I was like, <laughs> I have a clean domain. Right. Poland is .pl. So I can register heya.pl for Poland. So it's got a really nice shortened version of the oh, URL. Clever. So I was, I was like, everything's lined up. This is perfect. I'm going to make these videos. And uh I had made a couple of videos. I had worked with a, um, a company to make some videos for one of their products. And uh, that's kind of in the Apple space. And uh, I met Nick and he, he was like, hey, you should come work at Apple. I was like, <laughs> okay, no more Apple content. And then I started making content uh, like, like videos about video games. So right. 
Um, some of my earliest videos I had privated uh, shortly after joining Apple because they were about doing things with Apple products that Apple didn't really want you to do. Oh, so the product that I was promoting was something called like, um, God, it was a company called Digit DNA. Basically, they had a software that would let you access the file system of an iPhone, even though it wasn't jailbroken. Okay, so it meant you could use your iPhone as a as a storage device to some degree. Um, you could access pictures, pull voice memos off your phones. At the time, that was you couldn't take a voice memo off your phone very easily. Okay, so it was a really great app. I, I had a bunch of uses for it, and so I made some some videos about the product. So I privated a bunch of those. Um, but uh, yeah, so from there, <laughs> in my dorm room on a on a MacBook Pro with uh, the the turdiest mic I could buy on Amazon at the time. So I had paid 50 bucks for this thing and thought I was, I wow. was with a good mic. Yeah. Use the built-in webcam and, and just started recording videos. Well, that's, that's, that's how most professors stream their classes is exactly <laughs> what you're describing right there. So they're, they're about 10 years ago the, today in terms of streaming technology. It's funny because I'm from Detroit originally and I've never been a car guy. Like I knew car guys who were open up the car, talk about the engine block and, you know, I, the carburetor and the, what a manifold and all this other stuff. I just, I just drove it. Right. So were you always that kind of kid growing up that was like, you know, I got to take this thing apart and understand the inner workings of it and really dig into it. Cause I think there are people who are like that naturally. And those who are just kind of like, I don't, you know what, I just want to be able to use my phone to make phone calls or just do whatever I don't need to, I don't need to rip it apart. Yeah, you know, I think I'm someone who I like to add tools to my tool belt. Okay. And the way that I go about discovering a tool isn't uh, probably the, a traditional way that people would do it. Um, so I, I had mentioned I, I had moved to San Luis Obispo to go to school. I actually dropped out. So I didn't uh, finish even my first year. And okay. so um, at that time, I started working for the Apple retail store. And... Um, you know, kind of that non-traditional path of learning is like reflective in what ultimately has become my career path. But as a kid, it was always trying to figure out how things worked without being told how they worked. Right. And um, being guided towards what I needed to learn. So that's where my passion and some of my experience with graphic design had come from was I had a graphic design teacher who explained how to learn Adobe software without teaching you click this button and do this a certain way. And so for me, I think that really helped me click with how creative apps worked. Right. It's, yeah. it, it is kind of cool because you know, it does feel like I've only been on Twitch. You know, I, I've only understood Twitch as more of a thing since maybe December. So it's only been not quite a year when I started looking at it to create online content for classes, right? I figured if I'm going to teach people and try to engage them online, I should watch people who know how to be engaging online, which to me was Twitch. I mean, how, why would you watch someone playing a video game when you're not playing it? That sounds like a foreign concept. How do you make that interesting? And it does feel like Twitch has, was this place, even back when it was like Justin TV, that where the, where the people who were not adept at in-person social interactions could engage with each other in a social environment and kind of be engineers together and kind of play, have this playground, this sandbox of technology and integration and streaming and audio and video and all those things. Is that a, do I have that close or is, is that not right? You know, I think that's probably true of how Justin TV was. I had joined shortly after I joined Twitch in, in November of 2012. Oh wow! So it Justin TV was still around, but Twitch was its own separate thing at that point. Um, okay. It was a very different time in terms of streaming. So things like a viewer list, uh, where you could call out a lurker, which is someone who's watching the stream and um, hasn't said anything, and they're just watching and kind of in in silence in the background. Uh, you didn't even have the opportunity to call out a lurker because something of a viewer list didn't even exist. You couldn't wow. see who was watching you. Okay. Um, and a lot of the the interaction between a streamer and the viewer was really kind of, um, it was very basic at the time. So it was very personal. And um, and 
the, the biggest challenge of that day was that it was at least a nine or 10 second delay, even on Twitch. Um, I remember I, I would stream on YouTube and on Twitch. I started getting into streaming more um, towards the end of 2013 and a lot more in, in 2014 streaming Minecraft. And uh, that's when services like Streamlabs started coming around where okay. you could actually have alerts when an event happened. Right. Um, the, uh, the concept of a raid did not exist either. So someone coming in and dumping viewers with you wasn't really a thing. Like it was a raid. It was called a raid because they, a streamer shutting down their stream would tell their viewers to go somewhere okay. and they were raiding you. It wasn't a formal thing like it is today. So a lot of the concepts that have become baked into how Twitch and other streaming platforms work was, uh, was really pretty basic back then. And so was the level of interaction for a, uh, a viewer. So right. viewers really were like a kid sitting behind you on the couch while you're playing an Xbox. So they're watching you play the Xbox, but they can't really interact very much. Okay. Um, and it's been, it's been really neat to see companies that have pushed the envelope over the last five, six years. Um, namely, I mean, quite frankly, uh, Beam uh, was the company that really started to change how streaming worked. Um, Twitch in 2015 was definitely established as a, as a gaming streaming platform. But one of the things that Beam was doing, which ultimately became Mixer uh, after the acquisition from Microsoft, was figured out how to reduce the latency between the streamer and the viewer. Okay. So the, um, they changed the technology behind the scenes for how they were delivering video to how they were ingesting video and ultimately delivering it to viewers um, in a way that made sub-second uh, latency a, a possible. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Yeah. It yeah, totally it, changed the interaction. It, 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 I, I, I might have you might, might seen this on Netflix, it, which is um, the documentary series High Score, which was about the, oh, you're having, it's about the origins of uh, video yeah. games, basically. And for me, it's kind of weird, right? Because you know, I'm old enough that I was there. Okay, I remember Space Invaders. I remember arcades happening. But the interesting thing about this documentary series, when you watch it all together at once, is you see the stepwise progression that kind of happens where it, it feels like there's this thing all of a sudden, but really it emerged out of these increments and individual mm -hmm. efforts and breakthroughs and ideas and commodifications, you know, of, of different things where someone's like, I can make money off of this. And so then it, be, it gets elevated because now it has resources. It's, it sounds like you're describing a very similar thing as like, as how video games emerged from its earliest origins into, you know, what it is today. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. I think one of the amazing things that the internet and technology has shown us is companies can learn from each other uh, very quickly. Um, when I think back to Twitch in 2012, they didn't have VODs. There were no clips. Um, there was no... It was live, and if you weren't there for it, you missed it. Right. And Twitch learned from YouTube that people actually do want to go back and watch some of these things. They want to see these moments that mattered. And I think the same is true with Twitch learning from other platforms about things like interaction. I also think it's true other platforms learn from Twitch. I think Twitch, without a doubt, is, a, is the player in the streaming world. Right. Um, but they, are, they do appear to be humble enough with their product to pay attention to what's happening around them and figure out how to evolve and grow their own, their own product. It does. I do find it kind of fascinating as a person who studied virtual communities a little bit, how it's, you know, it's a, it's a culture beyond the platform or beyond the technology. What I mean by that is, and people may not understand this, that, you know, a person who's on Twitch, if you're live streaming on YouTube, it can be like a, it can, I've heard at least very different thing. Or if you're live streaming on Facebook or from before like Periscope, it's like a different culture for whatever reason, even though the technology might be, you know, you might be streaming it all through Streamlabs and just sending it out to whatever, but it still has a different kind of thing to it. I mean, well, you, given your experience, yep. like how would you boil down the different kinds of cultures and reactions and experiences based on the platform that's, that the people are engaging the content through? So 
I, I agree with you. I, I definitely have seen this. Um, having streamed on YouTube, Mixer, Twitch, and Facebook. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've seen I've seen how it how it's been a little bit different. And I think if I were to boil it down to uh, the differences in streamer, it, it, it's probably less a streamer culture difference and more of a viewer expectation difference. So on Twitch, the broad audience is video game players. And so you can kind of cut up video game players into a couple of buckets, people who are looking to play with people and they okay. use a streaming platform as an like a looking for group. You have people who are looking for the best in a particular competitive video game, or they want to see really amazing creative people in video games. So you right. can kind of space them out that way. But the common thread with most people who originally were watching Twitch was video games. Right. When I think of what I was doing in YouTube live streams, it was way more conversational and it's kind of become what the just chatting category on oh, okay. Twitch is. But it meant that the topics, the way you interacted was different. So YouTube was much more of a conversational thing where I would talk to chat and eventually like it was definitely like a, almost a live podcast type of experience is what I would say. Gotcha. Most streams on YouTube felt like, and I would say that's still probably the most successful streams on Twitch or excuse me on YouTube. Um, there's a YouTuber, uh, her name is Emily D Baker. She's an attorney and, um, she has multiple live streams on YouTube a week where she actually talks through all sorts of things happening in pop culture law, uh, law. Right. So interesting lawsuits brought against famous people. Um, currently she's covering, uh, the Britney Spears conservatorship, uh, case, as well as, uh, the blizzard, uh, Activision blizzard. Right. A lawsuit from the state of California. So um, her, her uh, live stream is definitely a, a huge conversation. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's been interesting to see the difference. And when I went to Mixer in 2019, early 2019, the biggest difference I found was interaction. So the biggest change for me from going from Twitch and YouTube to Mixer was the amount of interaction that was expected of the streamer. Um, and that came down to the fact that the platform was built around fostering an interactive experience for viewers. So everything from how the chat worked to systems that they had baked into the platform to the sub-second delay, like less than a second. Wow. When I say like for those who've never experienced what this streaming technology was that Mixer had, uh, it was literally a I could watch my stream on mixer.com as as I was playing a game and it would be like there was just a slight delay. Like if okay. you've ever used AirPlay on an iPhone, right. and there's that slight like half second, quarter second delay, there's latency but it's enough it's not enough that it's disruptive. And so I could watch my stream and play my video game. Um, because it was so, it was so short. Um, mm. So, yeah. And what happened with, I've heard of Mixer, but I was never on it. What, what was the, I won't say rise and fall, but what was the, you know, the decline of Mixer where it's not around anymore. Then a lot of people go from Mixer and move, it seems over to Twitch. Yeah. So Mixer's, Mixer started as a company called Beam. It was founded by two guys who were in high school, I think at the time. And they had, uh, they had made a very successful Minecraft hosting business. Okay. They took their Minecraft hosting business money and put it towards a new streaming service that they wanted to build that was better than Twitch. It was kind of their goal. They wanted it to be faster and with more features and yada, yada. So Mixer or Beam it was eventually acquired by Microsoft. It was folded into the Xbox group. And Microsoft bought it seemingly for two things. The first was to create a live streaming opportunity on Xbox for Xbox players while also uh, acquiring a technology called faster than light FTL. So this is the sub second streaming technology that uses, um, it uses UDP versus uh, whatever the other one is. The other one. <laughs> Don't quote me. It's not really yeah. called the other one. There's actually a name. There for is it. a, there is a technical oh, name okay. for uh, RTMP. Okay, there, there we go. So, um, but basically the, the way that those protocols work is uh, Mixer, in, uh, the way you would stream to Mixer is your, your computer would throw 
everything at the mixer servers. And if something was dropped, it was lost forever. So you needed an unbelievably stable connection between your machine and the mixer servers. And then mixer would rebroadcast that very quickly. So the way that RTMP works, which is how Twitch works and YouTube and Facebook and all these other services, uh, they basically send the data and they send something that says, here's what I sent you. Are you missing anything? And if you are, it resends parts of the data. And that's where that delay comes in. So gotcha. Mixer would have, uh, could have these faults in the video where all of a sudden the video is just you're dropping frames because something's happening, happening at some point in the line and data is being lost. Right. How long did it take you to figure all this out? <laughs> because I, 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 as a person I, who has, uh, <laughs> you know, been trying, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not untechnical, but I'm certainly not terribly technically savvy. And it's, and I, the learning curve has been amazing. It feels amazingly steep. And so when I hear you tell, you know, like, oh, I, you know, didn't finish a year of college and whatever, but then talking as if, you know, you, you wrote the code. I mean, so what was that process like? Or is it something like a language you just, you know, you don't think about how you learned English. You just kind of learned it because you were always immersed in it. Uh, Going back to the way that I tend to learn things is I don't tend to follow a traditional path. So going out and doing research about what streaming technologies exist and how do they work is not necessarily the first path I'm going to take. Gotcha. This actually came from conversations through networking with Mixer employees. So I, I was having issues with my stream and I was pretty frustrated trying to figure out what was wrong. Was it something on my end? Was it something on the Mixer end? And through different conversations and poking around and just trying to figure out what, how this stuff worked, I eventually made my way to an engineer. Um, his name, his handle is boring name here. Uh, he is one of my favorite people I've ever met. Okay. Uh, he's, his ability to explain these complex uh, technologies to someone who does not understand them uh, was spectacular. And so that's effectively where I learned it was he, uh, through this really wild roundabout way, spent a lot of time explaining this stuff to me, explaining what could go wrong and how to fix certain things. Right. So, um, you know, I think the, the challenge with anyone entering the streaming space is, to your point, it is a very steep learning curve. There's the stream part, like the actual content you produce that has its own challenges. There's the technical side. That is often overlooked when you see a big streamer who can just turn their stream on and go. You don't always think about all the work that had to go in right. to make that work every time. Um, and so uh, the, the, the learning curve there is definitely large. And there's not a great uh, starting point. I think for most people that I know who have taken up streaming... They end up having to just climb Mount Everest with no experience. Right. And so maybe no Sherpa. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're lucky, you have a Sherpa. Uh, but in most cases, you're carrying your stuff yourself. Well, what, what, one of the things I find really fascinating about Twitch is, and this is like speaking as a social scientist, is the, the willful presence of vulnerability in, in, in so many different ways, right? So people are vulnerable in that you're putting yourself out there. Right. So that's number one to put yourself out there into the world is, you know, a risky proposition and you're going to make yourself vulnerable. Number two, with your technical lack of technical expertise or knowledge. And number three, people will, you know, things go wrong. And that's just part of it. And, you know, it almost reminds me of watching, I don't know if you ever saw the TV show like American Choppers or any of these TV shows where they're, it reminds me of that. And you get to see that. They, you know, the part of the identity of being a mechanic or a builder or a streamer is figuring it out when things go wrong. Absolutely. And, and, and I feel if, even though it's, what am I trying to say? Even though it's a little bit intimidating, when you see other people struggling on their stream with stuff, then you, you kind of go, oh, so it happens to everybody. I'm not just, you know, it's not just me. It's everybody. Yeah, I think. Um, it, 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 there is a learning opportunity for sure from watching someone else fail. You don't have to necessarily fail the same way they did to like in order for you to learn it. So watching someone have sound issues and 
watching sound issues. But yeah. <laughs> as you're watch, as you're as you're uh, uh, viewing a stream and you're seeing and hearing different things that are going wrong, um, if you're in the mindset of trying to learn and understand what they're doing, you'll start to pick up on things. For me, the the biggest thing I'll usually notice, especially with newer streamers, is an unbalanced audio, set of audio. Okay. So what that means is when they're playing a game, either their mic is too quiet and the game is too loud, or the game is too quiet and their mic is too loud, or the music is the music that they've got going on is too loud or too quiet, or Discord and, and the people right. they're playing with. And the hard part is, how do you know as a streamer it doesn't sound balanced as a viewer? Because Clearly, it sounds fine in their headphones because they can hear everything just fine. Right. The viewers aren't. And uh, a great streamer that he's, he's, a, great, he's a good friend of mine. He, I have learned so much from this guy. Um, his, his name is Eklo. His channel is I Am Eklo. He spent so much time explaining the importance of good audio in a stream. And uh, one of the things that I will not forget is... is how many, he asked me, how many times when you watch a stream is the stream behind another window? I was like, it happens all the time. I'm constantly doing other things while watching a stream. Right. But in reality, it's become a, an audio podcast. Right. And so the, the, <laughs> for him, his, his point was that that sound quality has to be on point. You need right. to make sure the levels make sense. You don't need to have an unbelievably expensive microphone and a whole mix board and all these things to do that. Um, and his advice to me was watch your streams back after you're done. After you're done, watch, watch your VOD. If you right. don't have VODs, record your stream and watch it locally afterwards. Right. Because you will almost certainly hear something. You'll go, oh, I need to change that. You get a sound right. effect that's a little bit too quiet or an alert sound that is way too quiet, uh, way right. too loud. Right. Um, I always, I always learn something when I, when I watch my VODs back, I notice things that I'm going to change and I kind of keep a running list of those. Well, I was looking at your Twitter feed and one of the things that I think you retreated, which was, I found really interesting was of, of a meme that said, because of Twitch, I met strangers that turned into friends. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it might be hard for people to understand. I think this is where you know, this idea of virtual communities comes in. You know, how do people you never met become your friends um, behind names that you don't even know who they are? Yeah, I mean, part of this has been, been through years of playing video games. So I've made lifelong friends that I talk to that I've known since I was in middle school. Okay. So one of my longest internet friends, we met by chance in world of Warcraft. Okay. He was running by me and he just gave me a buff and I thanked him. And then he was like, Hey, you want to do this thing together? And from then on, this was probably 2007. We're still friends. We still talk. We're friends on Facebook. Like we have, um, it's been amazing to, to kind of be friends for 14 years. Um, when it comes to Twitch, it's a little bit different because there's a viewer and then there's a streamer. So there are people who stream, there are people who just watch streams and don't, and don't stream themselves. And I think part of what can help uh, bring people together and get close is the amount of time you end up spending together. So if you stream for four hours a day, three or four days a week, and they're watching you that whole time, they see glimpses of your life as the streamer as they're just listening and watching. Right. Um, and, you know, there are dangers to that. Like there are absolutely uh, this, this power dynamic that can happen. Um, but when it comes to streamers, it's a little bit more even. And um, I think the nice part about streamers is that it's pretty clear if the streamers are going to get along, the communities tend to be able to merge as well. And so that's beneficial to the streamers for a couple of reasons. Your, your viewer base could grow, um, which could lead to more revenue opportunities for you. But also, they may introduce you to new games and new things to try. So right. um, in terms of, of uh, going back to your question about how do you get friends, you know, how do you meet people and how does that kind of work through streaming? I think it genuinely is just a time thing. Like it, it 
took me a long time to do it, but you also have to be a good viewer. That was the thing that I think I didn't understand is what, it, what, what being a good viewer is when you're a streamer. Um, so it would be apparent to me once I stopped, I, I, took a, I took a brief hiatus of about four months from streaming when I moved to Mixer. I did not stream on Mixer. I just wanted to see what was going on. Right. And so I learned a lot about how people streamed. I got to see what it was like as a viewer to, to things that I liked and things that I didn't like that streamers would do. Um, namely, if I would say something and it would be ignored, but they would reply to someone else after me. I didn't like that. It didn't feel good. Even if, right. you know, I, so things like that I'd start to pick up on. Um, and same thing in terms of uh, alert styles and, and actual content appearance, how those types of things would change. Um, it also let me meet other people. So I wasn't in someone's stream to like say I was there. It was purely because I actually enjoyed watching them. So um, at that point, I made the decision that I would only follow streamers that I would actually watch. So that I would watch and be a part of their community and like be able to enjoy their content. Um, because I was watching other people around me who would follow streamers purely because they felt like that was some way to grow. It was like a right, um, right, right, anything. Right. That's fine. It's, it absolutely is. Streaming is a business to many people. But I viewed it more as a, as a hobby and a fun thing to do. It does remind me of, I've had a chance to be around a bunch of artists and it does remind me in many ways of any art class. I mean, the palette is different. You know, there's a stream deck and overlays and integrations and plugins and lighting and everything else. That's the palette, but it still is just creative exercise in which a person is trying to express some aspect of self in a way that people find engaging and interesting to look at. Absolutely. Yeah, if you've ever watched that TV show Chopped, same right. thing. They open that box. All four contestants have the same exact ingredients. And somehow all four plates of food are completely different. Right. Their own flavor, their own style, their background, things that have influenced their life come out on that plate. And I think streaming is the same. I think streamers, when they start, are very similar. So it's probably a bit of how a chef coming out of culinary school is uh, or going into culinary school. Um, I would imagine the same for your students too, as they right. go in your class and start writing papers, they have a particular way of writing. That's probably very, all very similar. And by the end of your class, they have their own opinions on the things that they've learned and can um, right. bring different flavors to their, to what they're delivering. I think it's a good point because you hope number one, you want them to know that they have something to say. Cause they don't always know that I was just watching a streamer today who I watch a lot in the mornings and he plays games typically. And he's like, and he was like, well, you know, do you, would, would you like me to do a just a just chatting stream? I don't know. You know, would that be okay? You know, it's like, well, do, you know, I, I don't know what I would do. I'm like, well, what, 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 what interests you? <laughs> you, you have us, you have something to say. What do you have to say? That's not just playing Valheim or Subnautica or whatever, Sea of Thieves. You know, what do you want to say? Mm -hmm. And it's getting like with the students, getting them to understand that they have a voice and something to say and a perspective that's unique that they can bring out into the world and feel safe doing so. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are times when um, the cart comes before the horse sometimes. And I think that comes out when a streamer is uh, indecisive about what the thing that they're producing is. So I've certainly had streams where I hit the pop, uh, you know, the go live button and I don't really care one way or another what I'm going to be doing. And I may switch things up multiple times throughout the day because I didn't go into it with what this thing I was going to be doing was going to be. It was kind of a, an unguided missile launch. <laughs> just, right. It's just shooting somewhere and who knows right. where it's going to end. And I like there are, there are good things about that kind of level of, um, looseness in the way that you can run a stream. But I think having structured content is really important. Setting that level of expectation for your viewers about on, you know, what the schedule looks like, right. even if it's hard, you know, setting a schedule is the hardest part of streaming to be quite honest. Right. Um, 
once you've got all the technical stuff out of the way, I think that's the practically, I think that's actually one of the hardest things to do. Um, if you're, if you're not committed to what you're doing on stream, why should your viewers be right? Why should they care if you don't care? And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it seems pretty basic, but it, I see a lot. It's very similar to teaching. Again, it was interesting for me. I remember like I was, before I started streaming, I was doing a lot of, you know, I do research. I kind of research stuff to death before you know, trying to figure it out. And someone said, well, if you want to practice, you know, live streaming, you should, you know, you should talk, you know, stare at a wall and talk by yourself. I'm like, well, well, hell, I can do that. I've taught freshmen at 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. I can, I can talk and have no one respond being in the same room. And so for me, it was kind of weird. I'd never had any problem just chatting, right? Having content and material because that's my job. I, I, I had a hard time figuring out, can I incorporate gaming into that? Yeah. <laughs> Versus most people come at it from, I'm going to play a game. And then what else can I say on top of that besides just playing a game? So it's been interesting. And you know, there's a whole lot of educational streamers that I've followed as well, who I've modeled after. And it's interesting to see like, you know, how Twitch has become an educational platform in many ways, not just a gaming platform Absolutely. and not just a community platform. I mean, it has become so many different things that um, I don't know that one could have predicted, you know, when you started in 2012. No, absolutely not. I didn't even, it's funny. I didn't even think of Twitch as anything all that special when I had joined. Right. It was just a site that you would stream to because it was available, but I didn't, uh, I certainly didn't have any long-term here's where I think this is going to go. Like I was right. not in that mind space at the time. Um, and, and just to kind of go back to something you just said, I think there's a really big difference and I have caught myself doing this, but I think streamers who start out or have been doing it for a while sometimes confuse talking and the need to keep talking as a streamer with um, actually saying something that would invite conversation with, right. your, with your viewership because you can talk about the game and, and it's, it's pretty clear when someone is just literally narrating their gameplay. Right. Um, I do it. You know, it, I don't think anyone's uh, immune from narrating their gameplay. But narrating your gameplay doesn't really invite a conversation or interaction with your viewership. And so having, um, having something to talk about uh, or to help lead a conversation, I think is really important when you stream, especially when you're growing. Because as you're growing, you will have a lot less people in your stream than larger streamers where the chat just naturally is going because it's sort of self-sustaining at that point. But when you're, when you have under 50 or a hundred viewers, uh, you have to stimulate chat. You have to, if you want to have people talking and interacting with your stream, which yes. is important for having people sticking around and, and growing your, your channel, it's important to make sure that they're feeling like they're a part of a conversation and that you can't join in when you're saying, I think I'm going to mine this rock and then, you know, I need to go build a bench and do this thing. Like there's right. not a lot of things that a viewer can add other than uh, yelling at the streamer for doing something wrong. <laughs> I really, really, really love that point because it's, it's again, exactly like teaching. I mean, it, and this is why I started watching this stuff right on Twitch. Cause it's the same thing. If I'm just narrating PowerPoint slides or if I'm just talking about right. stuff that, that they read in the book and I'm not creating a space for engagement, you know, when, when we went, you know, the pandemic moment and people are teaching online as if teaching online is something brand new, which it's not, you know, you know, is it really different? You know, how different is it? I'm like, it's not necessarily because good teaching is good teaching, whether you're doing it in a classroom, you're doing it on a stream, you're doing it in a boat or in a, you know, in, you know, which I talk, call my stream that in an Agora, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a space of learning and exploration and engagement. And so how, it, that's exactly what you just described. It's not just narrating content or you know events it's inviting response absolutely when you think about the most <clears throat> the the speakers who are influential uh and are very talented at getting crowds to do things and to to be passionate about things they are 
absolutely there's a bit of some of that is is saying things that get people interested and listening right narration of events does not do that no <laughs> um and so uh, it's easy to fall into the trap of i need to say something because dead air is bad air and i disagree with the idea that silence from the streamer for periods of time is a negative thing i think if there's i think it's more i think it actually hurts uh new viewers more uh, or hurts your chances of having a new viewer interact more by talking about nothing and narrating rather than saying nothing until you have something important to say got it it's a good really good point and so, you know, jumping like to right now on this point of engagement, you know, leaving a space open, then there's stuff happening. And, you know, Firebot, which is a product that, that you work with, I mean, and it's an open source product, so I don't have to work with or work for. I mean, how did this all come about your engagement with Firebot? So Firebot was started by a streamer. Uh, his current name is, is Mage Enclave um, on Twitch, but... Prior to a couple of renames, um, he was called Fire Bottle. And he was looking for a tool that would let him do things in his stream that didn't exist on Mixer. So the number of bots that existed on Mixer were quite low. Going back to how Mixer was very interactive, part of the interaction on Mixer was uh, two things. The first was it had a proper uh, modern events system. So when someone joined the chat, it immediately registered when someone left the chat, it immediately understood that someone had left okay. and disconnected. Um, viewer numbers were live. Um, when an event happened, it happened in real time on a system that they called constellation. So that was their backend events API. They had a second system called mix play. Mix play was a set of buttons that you could add to your stream right below uh, your video Okay, And it was completely customizable. You could make it however you wanted, have it interact and do things. But the challenge was having it do something uh, was really hard if you, weren't, um, if you weren't a programmer. And so what Firebot did, there are a couple other tools that do this as well, but Firebot was one of the, the originals and the one that's still around. Where you, if you added a button you could, and you made it a fart button, you could have a fart sound play. Right. And uh, my... Uh, a former colleague of mine when we worked at Apple together. Uh, Which is important, by the way. I mean, number one, that you have a fart sound. And number two, oh, that you absolutely. hit the button that it actually plays. Absolutely. <laughs> a fart button that does not fart is actually, I think that's like a, that is. Nothing more depressing than that build up. In half the country, yeah. And the letdown of oh. the anticipation of the fart sound. If there's not nothing. some cheek slapping. Uh, there's uh, <laughs> you're not gonna get the viewers. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, that's how do you think Shroud got to number one? Exactly. Certainly not his aim. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Ebigs is someone I used to work with at Apple, and he was he's a developer, and so he joined the project. He met um, Mage, joined the project as a developer, and started contributing to it more and more. He is the one who actually introduced me to Mixer. The first streamer I ever watched on Mixer was Mage and fell in love with him and his, his stream and Mixer okay. and Firebot. And I started using Firebot a lot uh, right as I started streaming. And they, released, they were releasing a rebuilt version of Firebot uh, version 5. Right. So Eric got me involved in the beta testing or alpha testing or whatever it was for uh, version five. And I was starting to provide some feedback about things that I wanted to do, but was struggling to do or couldn't figure out how to do. And so um, for those that don't know, I think you've done a great job of sort of sharing what Firebot is, but it's, it's different than uh, sort of what you would expect as a traditional uh, bot service or, or system. Right. So it runs locally on your computer. It doesn't run in the cloud. And so that has some added benefits. It also has some disadvantages. But one of the advantages is you have your local computer to make sure things happen uh, synchronously. They happen at the time they're supposed to happen and not with some delay because of the cloud. Right. So if someone types a command, 
the video is directly playing from your computer into your streaming software. Um, so if someone types fart and you have a little toot image that shows up on screen, that all happens at the same time. The sound plays and the image shows at the exact same time. Um, on top of that, it, it is, uh, it basically has almost every tool as a streamer you would need in a single place. So it has everything from a viewer database that tracks time, numbers of chat messages, um, when they first joined your stream, to uh, commands, tracking of events like follows and subscriptions, counting things like deaths and wins, um, and even having the ability to have custom currencies right. for, for chat games. So um, eBigs got involved in, in Firebot. I got involved as uh, just as a consumer of it and started participating in some of the testing of it. And then I started trying to push it to some limits. Um, so one of the things that I had always wanted to be able to do was have my stream transform based on what I was playing. So I think it's really important as a viewer to see that a streamer and a stream has a certain production quality. Right. That, that is something I care a lot about. Um, it's not something that if it's not there, uh, it's, not a, it, it, it's not a reason to not watch someone. But for me, as a streamer, someone's production quality is going to get me really excited if, it's, if they're doing something I haven't even thought of or haven't even figured out how to do. And there is a streamer by the name of Jane. He's an Overwatch streamer or was an Overwatch streamer. and. Uh, he had created a system where he was producing a live show and the stream's uh, assets would change throughout the show. Huh. He wasn't using different scenes in OBS, I don't think. He was literally changing how his stream looked from the alerts to the backgrounds of his lobby scenes. It was transforming as the show went on. And it kind of gave me a, a project to try to figure out how to do this in, in Firebot, if I even could. Right. Going back to you growing up and being like, how does this work? You Absolutely. Know, trying to get into that without necessarily being told how it happens. Right. And with Firebot being an open source project, there's really no funding for it. There's no one works for Firebot. No, no one makes any money right. from Firebot. But what it, what, it, um, what it means is that there's limited documentation because no one's getting paid to be a technical writer. Right. So writing, writing tutorials and documentation is uh, about as minimal as it gets um, because there's just no one to do it. And so if anyone out there loves to do that in their free time and wants to join the <laughs> Robot Tools Discord and, and become a contributor, be our guest. Um, but essentially, uh, I had to figure it out on my own. And so I started playing around with some of the systems in Firebot, eventually getting to a point where Firebot understands the game I'm playing. And based on my scene in OBS, it delivers the correct background video, which is a looping video that's always showing based on the game that I'm playing. So um, it's smart enough to know that if I don't have anything set up for a particular game, it just shows my default background. It basically has a fallback, but otherwise, most of my games have some level of customization towards the background. It changes the headers, so the text on the screen, um, and it even turns certain commands on or off or changes them for this particular game. So a game like Overwatch, I have a stats board that shows my wins and my losses. Right. That same stats command works when I play a game like Sea of Thieves, but it's smart enough to understand what game I'm playing, and it shows the correct graphics and scores and counts on screen that's pretty mm -hmm. wild because i mean if i on the one hand it's like well why bother right you know are you getting more viewers from it are you getting more money from it are you getting more popularity from it on the other hand it's pretty damn cool to have a stream <laughs> that recognizes that and also just like going about the artistic expression of it because you know it's fun to figure out. And it's like a community of people who are modifying cars. Absolutely. And I knew when I had, I was a viewer in Jane's stream 
and saw what he was doing and the level of interaction that he was giving his his viewers, the experience was like something I had never seen on a streaming platform before. Um, I had never seen it, period, before. Um, the closest that I've seen, if you've ever heard of HQ Trivia, where they had that live stream service where you could win some money by answering trivia questions, that level of interaction and transformability of the game I had never seen until Jane did it. And it was really special to me as a viewer because it was a totally different way to interact with Jane, who is a large streamer. Yeah, he's very successful. His chat moves very quickly. But I could feel like I was a part of his stream because what I was doing in chat was making changes happen on screen. I think that's so huge. I actually had this written down that it almost reminds me of immersive theater, right? Where the viewer's part of the show. And, you know, this is, you know, it's you're, when people are like, oh, you're just watching people play video games. No, you're actually not. You're not just watching. You can actively engage in the, con the production of it by chatting, by using emotes, by, you know, subscribing, by farts, right? You know, doing certain commands and the Firebot platform, which is, which I've started to use watching your help videos and it's super easy to use increases it in a way that no other bot has been able to do not nearly as easily. Yeah, I think what I really appreciated about Firebot versus other tools, and I've used other bots, I've used a right. lot of them over the years. I've used yeah, a, yeah, a bunch of them. Um, Phantom Bot on Twitch was the first one that I had used that was a locally managed bot. It wasn't a cloud-based bot um, for Twitch. and. Uh, Never did I have the tools at my disposal in a way where I didn't need to become a developer to do certain things. I didn't need to learn a new skill of programming to be able to do things. Um, all I needed to understand was how to assemble Lego bricks. And if I could figure out how to build with the basic different Lego br bricks that Firebot has, you can take them and make something really complex. Um, yeah. Right. Well, another thing I'd like to ask you about, you know, kind of wrapping up here, I'd be interested in your perspective on back, you know, back when the internet was a thing, it was just starting, right? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm old enough to remember when, you know, people started going into chat rooms. I remember getting just, AOL discs. I, well, yeah. And also um, people, you know, I remember when to, in order to get online into things, you need an EDU account, right? Um, for some of these discussion boards, there's always been this tension between um, this is going to be a place that people can come together regardless of their background, their identity, their disability, whatever. And it's going to be a trolled hot mess of bullying and targeting. And whenever I've talked to professors about, you know, live streaming on Twitch who don't know, they're like, well, what about, right? It's always the first thing they say. Well, what about if someone jumps in and does X, Y, and Z? Yeah, there's that potential. And in some streams you will find that. But I really haven't. Maybe I've just not been hanging around the right dark corners. But for me, it's been mostly, I've seen mostly a supportive, inclusive, accommodating, welcoming, you know, community. You know, um, so I, I posted my coming out video on YouTube, right. which was a very interesting experience all around. Uh, but the... There is, certainly is reason for concern for someone who has not experienced uh, the internet the same way you have um, for uh, like things like trolling. Right. There is no doubt that it happens. I, I've had it happen to me as well. But one of the best parts about being the streamer is you set the rules. Right. So it is so empowering if someone comes into my stream and says something that is absolutely unacceptable, it is the most satisfying thing to be able to kick them out of my stream and they can't come back. And they're going to be jumped by about 20 of your friends or a hundred of your friends who are in the stream right now who are going to be like, yeah, no, that's not what you're going to do. Right. And even if you're streaming to nobody and they're your right. only viewer, um, it's okay to ban the person right. who is not contributing to your happiness while you're streaming. Um, I think that's the, that's an amazing thing. Twitch has now they have they did not when I first started <laughs> streaming, but they have some pretty amazing auto moderation tools as well. 
So you can set the level of strictness on all sorts of things in terms of, uh, are you okay with your viewers swearing in your stream, but you don't want anything that's political to be discussed. Right. You can set those types of rules for what's okay and what is not okay, um, or turn them off entirely and you just handle it uh, manually. Um, so I've taken the approach of it. I, I handle it manually, um, but certainly th that's come with time. I think the longer I've been doing this, certainly the thicker my skin has gotten. Um, and there have been people that I have uh, brought in as friends who turn out to be homophobic people mm. who were uh, one person in particular who was trying to use me to grow his channel. Okay. And like, as a, you know, it was the, it was a very weird dynamic and I got to ban him live on stream. So there is something where you can ban them and say your piece and then move on with it. That I think is, uh, is pretty amazing. I think for anyone who's nervous about trolling or, or, uh, inappropriate comments or discussion, it's very, very rare that anything happens. Um, but it would be, it would be wrong for me to say that it doesn't. Right. But it is so infrequent that it's now it's to the point where I don't even think about it. It's not even a concern of mine when I hit go live because it's so infrequent. And it's been interesting for me to see Twitch as a spot and live streaming in general as a spot where I think the biggest surprise was the intergenerational interaction that occurs where, you know, the stream I know you from, which is, you know, Jay Forson's stream, you know, there's people like me or Jay for whoever who are more advanced in years. And there's people like you who are not as advanced in years. And then there are people who are really not advanced in years who are all just kind of hanging out together. And another stream I follow, I am Jolo. He's an LGBTQ plus streamer in the UK. And most of the people in the stream are LGBTQ plus. And for me, who's not, to be able to hang out in that environment and, and, uh, and be part of that community is really cool because in our society, it's really hard to get out of our own little balkanized um, silos of social relations to explore this broader world that exists. Yeah, absolutely. I think for my own, like even for myself, my worldviews have grown and expanded because I've been able to be around people who come from different backgrounds, who have had different life experiences, who live in different parts of the world. Um, so growing up in California with a, you know, with, you know, living comfortably in the middle class, it is definitely eye-opening to meet people who have had a totally different upbringing and, um, and to, to realize for them as well, that people are so much more similar than they are not similar. Right. Um, and I think that's something that the interaction that you can get on Twitch helps foster like w without a doubt. Um, like I have met, I met them online, but I've, I've gone and met them in person, lifelong friends through YouTube, uh, Twitch, video games, um, you name it. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty amazing time we're in because I think the world's only going to get, I guess, smaller, but right. in reality, like it's getting smaller because our view of the world is growing. Right. So um, I think it's a, I think it's an amazing thing. And I think the level of toxicity that once was rampant on the internet, I think will, will always be there, but schools and companies and people are getting a lot better about stamping it out. So I think that's a low risk for the sociologist, professionally speaking, there will always be a-holes among us. I think that this is a, <laughs> this is an unavoidable thing. And unfortunately with the internet, somehow they've all found a way to find each other. It seems <laughs> and come yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, if you drive a, a certain distance and you didn't have anyone who was a jerk to you on the road, you didn't drive long enough, right? Keep driving. Eventually someone will cut you off. I think the same case is true with Twitch um, and the internet as a whole, but I think um, it doesn't stop us from driving. Like and it's, you, you learn how to navigate around it. And the great thing about live streaming is that, as you said, how many times have you been driving and someone's cut you off and you said, 
I wish I could take away that person's license. Well, you can, you can just ban them. I wish there was a cop right there to see that. Right. Oh, wait, there is. I am the cop. Let me <laughs> kick you out and exactly. tell you, tell you live and the rest of my stream, what the rules are in case you forgot to read them. And then I'll make a video of it and I'll put it on my YouTube <laughs> and then I'll share it on my TikTok, and then I'll make some money from it. I'll make so some money. For, so thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. You know, one last thing I wonder about, um, you know, for people who might be listening to this and people might be listening, you never know. Uh, what like what what are some of the larger lessons that companies or individuals or designers can take away from your own you know deep experience and in, in content creation and live streaming and viewer engagement that might be applied to other areas of work the world design innovation that is not necessarily part of live streaming yeah i mean i've actually taken some of the things that i've learned doing live streaming into my professional life as well so specifically the interaction side, um, I remember I had to give a presentation to uh, several hundred salespeople about using a new system that they were not at all excited about having to use and delivering that information in a way where they were actually excited meant getting in their mindset, thinking what they would, what, what challenges do they have? And then building a presentation that was interactive using video uh, recorded audio and scripting it. Right. Um, we actually had a whole journey through deep space looking for a solution to their worst <laughs> problems. Oh, that wow. was really cool. Um, there was a presentation that I had seen years ago from uh, Blizzard about uh, some new content that they were adding to their game called Hearthstone. And it was a choose your own adventure presentation. Love choose your own so, adventure. Yeah. And it was great for the audience. I, I remember watching it thinking, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I stole the idea, at least the mm -hmm. premise, and rebuilt it for us. And I think um, that level of interaction is really important. It makes people feel connected, that they have a voice, and that they're providing input on things. Even if you're going to do something you're going to do anyway, uh, I think it helps to build a community around people who right. feel like they're a part of something and, and the decision-making process. So that's what's really great about Twitch. Building interactive experiences makes people feel like they're contributing to the gameplay to some degree, even if uh, you're you're winning just because of yourself. So, and the great thing about Firebot is that it makes it easier to build those interactive experiences on whatever platform you are going to be live streaming to. And it really is a. I mean, I'm not just saying this, you know, as a kind of you know pan, you know, go use just obligatory nice thing to the guest. It's it's a really cool product. And it's been, allowed me to do things I had in my head, but I couldn't figure out how to do in other ones through the your videos and through the the ease of the UI and 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 the tools. I'm like, oh done. That was easy. Yeah it it uh yeah I think Firebot is this dark horse in the streaming world. And uh, as more and more people learn about it, I hope that we'll see better experiences for viewers arise in bigger streams. Um, if you're a smaller streamer and you are, or you're just starting out and you're looking for something to, to give you some basics, even just some basic chat games uh, or um, even some social alerts to link people to your Instagram. I think Firebot's a great starting point for that. And it's robust enough that you can grow into it. It's also not very intimidating. No. It's a little cute yellow robot uh, that, that smiles cute. at you as you're, as you're starting out. And it starts in simple mode. So when you're building things, it gives you a basic version of the application. So it's really easy to dip your toe into. And as you start to want to do new things... Um, I have a number of tutorials on my YouTube channel, but also the Firebot Discord. You can ask a question in there, and it is amazing how many people will jump out and try to help you and give you different solutions um, to whatever it is you're trying to do. Does a robot have a name? Firebot. That's it? That's it. I like it. Well, <laughs> Chuck, thanks so much for taking the time. I mean, there's a bazillion other things I'd love to talk about about this history. It's just fascinating. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share your immense experience and uh, perspectives on, on this growing, rapidly growing, especially the pandemic world of, of viewer engagement and live streaming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was great to be here. So thank you. 
We want to thank Chuck Kostalnik, a.k.a. Hey Apple, for joining us today to talk about virtual communities and streaming experiences. You can check out Chuck on Twitch as well as Firebot. We'll have links available in the show notes. We'd love to know your thoughts on how you've been able to create inclusive and engaging virtual experiences. If you stream, what tips and tricks do you use? And if you're a viewer, what do you like to see? Shoot us a message over at feedback at Experience Act Design or check out our LinkedIn page. We also want to thank you, our audience, for supporting the podcast. We always appreciate your contributions in your listening, your sharing ideas, your sharing your love and interest of the podcast, as well as your financial support in making the podcast possible. As always, you can support our podcast and our work through Buy Me a Coffee, which can be found on our website at experiencexdesign.com. So head on over and buy us a coffee. You can also share your feedback at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. Let us know what you'd like to see, what you'd like to see more of, and what maybe even you don't want to see at all. Finally, if you want to subscribe and join the EXD community to be up to speed on all the EXD news, head over to our website, enter your email, and stay on top of all the important information we want to bring with you. And with that, hope everyone is safe, everyone stays well, stays healthy, and we will see you next time on Experience by Design.